We're going to uh, jump right in without much delay here. We're going to read uh, chapter 1. We read verse 1 last week. We're going to move a little faster today. We're going to read uh, 2 through the end of the chapter, actually, which goes to verse 10. Excuse me, verse 10. So I hope you have your Bible open. I'd like you to follow along as I'm reading. That way you see the words in front of you. Paul has given his greeting, his salutation to the uh, church, uh, the believers there at Thessalonica. Thessalonica. I'm not sure exactly how to say that. I'm guessing, actually, I'm not saying it correct at all because it's an Englishified version, but that's how we know it. Verse 2, he now gives some thanks, and we're going to look at that the the entire time this morning. He says this. I'm just going to read the text. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves, that would be the people in Macedonia and Achaia, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come thank you Lord Jesus I thank you as well that your word is breathed out by your Holy Spirit and it is instructive to us it's useful to us it's good for us we need it and so we want to pay attention to it I pray that you would keep us close to the text this morning and I pray that you would allow us to understand the text and then not only that you would allow us to uh, have the grace to have decisions and in, made inside of us that we want to yield to the text and then of course by your grace God it is you who does all these things in us help us to live obedient to the text we thank you in Jesus name amen So I told you that uh, we got Paul's salutation out of the way, his greeting to us. That was verse 1. And as Paul does, now remember, this is his first letter that he wrote. But as Paul is going to do in all the other letters that we see of Paul, he almost immediately turns to thanksgiving. We probably could take some moments to just give some instruction to us about that. Because Paul, before he jumps in, in almost every single letter he writes, even though he corrects the believers in almost every single letter he writes, Paul always says up front Let me make sure you know that I'm thankful for you. That's good for us, right? Because we, I think, have a tendency so many times that when we see something that somebody's not doing right or we want to give some correction to somebody, we love to just jump right in and let them know what they're doing wrong. We forget that there's value and there's correctness in giving perspective. And that perspective is not just for them. That perspective is for the giver of the correction. I thank the Lord. He says, we give thanks to God always for you. That's the main point. I really actually only have one main point, but I'm going to have three sub-points under there, so uh, that doesn't re- won't reflect necessarily on the length of the message because I only have one main point. But here's the main point. Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. And those things are important. The construction of that is important, right? 
It's good to be thankful for the good things that we see in people around us. I thank you all for the things I see in you, for the way that you're giving yourself to the Word and the way you're surrendering yourself and the way you're growing year by year, month by month, however it may be. Sometimes we take leaps and bounds. Sometimes we pull back a little bit, right? Sometimes we take little inches steps as time goes by. But as we are growing in our faithfulness to Jesus, I give thanks for that. But notice who he's giving thanks to. So I can tell you this morning, and I can say it honestly, I thank you for your willingness to be here at church and for digging in, but I really thank God actually for all of you. I thank God that all of you have a desire to live faithfully to scripture. Paul says we give thanks always for all of you. Now I'm gonna give us three sub points and as we, as we walk through the things that Paul says that he's giving thanks to God always for all of them, we're gonna see uh, what I would, I'm gonna, uh, uh, we're gonna help you see I think anyway that there are several triplets involved and why Paul does that I don't know but it, it works out nice. Three is a good number in scripture. Uh, shows up quite a lot of times and we're gonna see some triplets uh, sort of emerge and we'll just uh, make mention of those as we go through. Um, but, I want more than anything for us to see that the reason he's giving thanks, they're hanging together and they have everything to do with why he's writing the letter. The reason we have this first writing of Paul because they have to do with the establishment or the establishing of the gospel in people and how that works and what that looks like and what that means. So, why is Paul giving thanks to God? The first thing he says is, I'm remembering before God and the Father some things about you. I'm remembering some things. What is he remembering? Well, let me show you what he's remembering. He's remembering these three things. You see this in verse three. He's remembering their work of faith. He says, I'm remembering your work of faith. He says, I'm remembering also your labor of love. And finally, he says, I'm remembering, here's our first triplet, of course, I'm remembering your steadfastness of hope. Now, if these words seem familiar, they're words that are gonna show up all over the New Testament, right? Faith, hope, and love. Now in this case, it's the order is faith, love, and hope, but it's the same three words, right? Words that are operative in our New Testament, living faithful to Jesus, gospel-centered, Christ-focused lives. Lives of faith, lives of love, lives of hope. Paul loves these three words. You read through Paul's letters, they're gonna show up everywhere. But they don't just show up in Paul's letters, they show up in some other letters, some other writings in the New Testament as well. But notice he puts some words with them, right? He doesn't just say, I thank God because I remember your faith and I remember your love and I remember your hope and I'm so grateful for those things, which he was. But he says, I'm actually thankful for your work of faith. I'm thankful for your labor of love. I'm thankful for the steadfastness of your hope. Three Greek words, ergon, kapas, hupamane. You don't need to know those words necessarily. You know them in the English language, and that's fine. You know, when Paul said these words, interestingly enough, when John saw his revelation and he was receiving, uh, 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 he was receiving from Jesus himself some messages for the churches, in those messages, this is from John, or sorry, Revelation chapter two, verse two, look what Jesus points out. As he's speaking to the church there, he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. Interesting, he picks up the same three words, ergon, kapas, and hupamane. 
I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance. So Paul is not only thanking God for it. We know that Jesus takes note of those things. Sometimes in my sermons, I, I, I don't know if I always clarify, and I wish I would do a better job sometimes, because in my sermons, I aim to give you instruction and, and, and aim to, 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 to break up open the word and help you see as it, as it pertains contextually and as it pertains to us, and sometimes in the pertaining to us part, we might call that application. And I think if you uh, actually study to be a good preacher, which I've not ever done, but if you study to be a good preacher, then you can probably tell, right? Any, sorry. Uh, I, I've not done that, but if you do that, then I think they'll tell you you should always have application in your messages. So I'm just going to be up front today. When we are going to uncover these triplets, they're for our application. So these things should find themselves in your life, in my life. Jesus takes note of these things. He takes note of your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope. But I want to make sure I point something out to you this morning. You may notice there's two words up there that are pretty similar. But actually in context, they're not actually completely the same. I'm referring to the word work and labor. As you look at the, and I'm not smart enough to figure this out, so I, I get this from, from the study I do. I didn't, anyway, I don't know, I'm not that smart to figure this out, but when you look at the grammatical structure of the way Paul says this, and he says the word work, ergon, he's actually talking about it as an abstract concept, not a physical thing. By contrast, the word labor, the, the verb he's using there, or the, I'm sorry, the article he's using there, refers to a a, an actual labor. So already Paul is establishing what I think is very clear in the Pauline epistles, his theology that we are, let me just put this in, in context or put it, label it out for you, we are justified by faith. But that faith, if we have faith, turns into works, like faith works itself out, that you do things. Your work of faith and in that, he's not talking about some physical things that are happening. He's talking about the work that happens when we believe. Your work of faith. Which, by the way, when you are saved by faith, when you trust in Jesus Christ, when you receive the gospel, now it turns into a labor of love. Now, that's an actual outworking. Our love does something. Our love for God makes us become his instruments. Our love for others created in God's image makes us become their servants too. It ought to anyway. And Paul says, I'm thanking God because I see that your faith worked, which means your love now works. Two different concepts, by the way. Two different applications of that. And out of that, you have a steadfastness of hope. The word steadfast, by the way, means to stay under. That's what the word literally means, to stay under which means we endure, that's another good word that's in the New Testament, often translated, Huva Mane is often translated endure. We endure our circumstances presently for what we hope for. We endure our labor of love. We're willing to submit ourselves to God and to those around us. We understand Jesus meant it when he said, in this world, according to the principles of this world, the leaders lord it over people underneath them. But in God's world, in God's kingdom, in God's principles, those who lead are actually servants. 
And Paul would write to the Philippians, of course, that we should have the attitude of Christ, who although he was in nature the same as God, he was equal with God, he did not consider that equality something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took on the very form of a servant and he was found in human likeness. And being found in that human likeness, he surrendered even to the point of death, death on the cross. That's the kind of attitudes we should have. Again, I can tell you that when John saw his revelation, and as the book progressed, as it came through, let me just uh, read a couple verses. I can't put them all up on the screen, so I'm going to read a couple verses for you. As he's talking in the middle of all this judgment stuff happening and all this difficult stuff happening, I want you to see a couple of key words that have shown up here in Thessalonians that show up in the book of Revelation. Revelation 14, verse 12 Here is a call in the middle of all this destruction that's happening, in the middle of all this judgment that's happening. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. There's the word hupamane, by the way. For the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And John says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And then he says this, he heard this, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Have you ever looked at this verse, actually? I hadn't really paid this close attention to it until this week. But actually, you notice they use the exact same two words that were used in Thessalonians. And the Spirit says that when we die, when we're faithful, we endure, and we die for the cause of Christ, or we die in faithfulness to Christ in the midst of all the stuff going around us, that we are blessed indeed because we rest from our labors, Those are the physical things. But what does it say? Because their works or their deeds follow them. Did you notice that? The writer of Hebrews, or the writer of of Revelation, I can't get my stuff straight here. The writer of Revelation here, as he's hearing what God is telling him to write down, he makes the same distinction, actually. He said, we will rest from our labors, but there are some of our works or deeds that are going to follow us. Labor, again, is kapos. It's the outward. It's the actual working, the physical thing. Again, I think he's using the word works in an abstract form. I hear Jesus saying that we can store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Or we can store up treasure on earth and that will not pierce the veil of death. Well, enough of that. Hopefully there's some instruction there for us this morning, some things we can hang on to. Paul says, I thank the Lord because I'm remembering that there is a work of faith. That's a heart thing. That's an inner thing. And there's a labor of love. That is an outworking of that inner work of faith. And there's a steadfastness and endurance of hope that comes. The second thing I'm going to point out to you that Paul says, I am thankful to God for all of you. I'm remembering you in my prayers, and I'm going to do that because I'm thinking about when the gospel came to you. When the gospel came to you, and we're going to have to walk through this a bit, but when the gospel came to you, I thank God because there was a certain response that came. Our gospel came to you, that the, the truth of Jesus, of who he was, his coming into the world, his giving of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his subsequent return to earth as the reigning king of kings and lord of lords, when that gospel came to you, something happened, and we're going to trace this thread through, and we're going to use the word came. I, you see, I underlined the word came there because he's actually going 
going to trace what happens in the gospel using that word. If you were reading the Greek, you would see in verses 5, 6, and 7, that Greek word, genamai, which again, you don't need to know that word. You don't need to care about that word other than it traces what Paul is trying to say that happened with the gospel when the gospel came. Genamai means to cause to be, to come, or to become. He says, the gospel came to you. Listen, the gospel, if you're sitting here this morning and you've heard any messages at all out of Scripture, the gospel has come to you as well. But what happened with it? But I'm going to stop first because he says the gospel actually came and he reveals a second triplet. He's remembering that the gospel came and it came in word. The gospel came to them in word. That means it was proclaimed. He proclaimed it. He said it. He spoke it. But he says, actually, he says it in the negative because he says it came not only in the word, but it came how? It came in power, and it came in the Holy Spirit, right? It was not just words. He says, I'm thanking God because when I came and the gospel came to you, it came not just in words, not just in proclamation, but it came with power, with dunamis, with, with, with authority behind it, and it came with the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, by the way, that makes all the difference. That actually, it determines what happens when the word comes. Because the word is out, and Romans makes it clear, right? All of us can look at creation around us and see God and know that he's real and he exists if we choose to, to acknowledge that. But for some, it falls on deaf ears, right? Some don't seem to care. Unless we are too quick to look outwardly, sometimes we are those who don't care too much. Sometimes we have the soil in our hearts that Jesus described about the farmer scattering the seed, right? Because the seed is the word of God. The gospel comes, the word comes sometimes, and sometimes the ground is hard. Sometimes it's got a lot of weeds in it. Sometimes it's really rocky. All the outcome of the gospel coming rests upon when the word comes, the proclamation comes, it has to be there, but when it comes in power and in the Holy Spirit. Jesus was clear, no one comes to the Father except what? Do you know how the rest of that verse goes? No one comes to the Father except what? Except the Holy Spirit brings them, right? Now listen, you could say that when Paul was talking about in coming in power, that it was accompanied by signs, and there's probably some correct, correct things about that, because when you read through the book of Acts, there are plenty of signs. I actually don't think he was talking ex exclusively, or I'm going to say as smallly as that, because there were some signs, but he's talking about the authority. Remember over and over again when Jesus spoke, and the people marveled, and they said, what did they marvel about? He teaches with such authority. Where did this man learn this? Remember what they said about the disciples and the, the, the newfound power within them when the Holy Spirit came upon them they began to proclaim Jesus. Jesus was gone by then. They began to proclaim Jesus and the, the authorities didn't like them. They brought him after the healings happened and the stuff happened. But what did they remark about them, right? These men, how do they know so much about Jesus? How do they know so much about what God is like? They're common, uneducated men, Right? But we noticed they'd been with Jesus. And they were astounded at the power with which, the authority with which they taught and spoke, that the word was proclaimed. And of course, the Holy Spirit was involved. Now, if you would go back, we don't have time this morning because time is moving on way too quickly. But if you would go back to the book of Acts, you would see exactly what Paul means when he says that. Remember, it's phrases like this. We tried to go in Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow us. Why was that? Because the vision came from a man from Macedonia across the water said, come help us. 
And Paul realized God is working there. And if he's working there, we should go proclaim there because that's where the authority and where the Holy Spirit is at. Now, we know the Holy Spirit's all over the place. So I, 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 he's everywhere. So I, well, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make distinctions about that. But I'm saying this to say this is absolutely true for all of us today. I'm grateful that we have examples like when Stanley says, I was at Wanakup and I talked to him. That's great. And I want all of us to grow in that. I want us, however, to first of all make sure we understand that it will do no good for us to go around and talk to a whole lot of people unless God is working there. Here's the reality of this, friends. We are not saving anyone. God is at work in the world, and when he reveals where he's working to us, it is his invitation to us to join him in that work, to which we would do well to dutifully say, yes, Lord. But that's when the word comes and the power is there and the Holy Spirit is active. And Paul says, I thank God because when I came to you and the gospel came to you, that it came in word and in power and in the Holy Spirit, which brought about, there's actually a fourth in there, because it says it brought about full conviction. That's what happens when God's word is proclaimed with authority or power and in the Holy Spirit. It comes in full conviction or full assurance. This is the same kind of full assurance that we read about in the book of Hebrews that says we can come boldly to the throne of grace, right? We can draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We read similar words as I think of the letter of Hebrews. I want to read these words for you. I don't have them on the screen at all, but I'm just going to read them. We're going to see some of the same themes pop up that we just talked about. As, as the writer of Hebrews is exhorting believers to leave behind the elementary doctrine of Christ to go on to maturity, which of course this is what Thessalonians is going to be about because Paul says, you've received the gospel, I'm so grateful for it, but now move on to maturity. As the writer of Hebrews does that, here's what he says. As you're, as you're wondering whether we should keep enduring and doing the good things when God doesn't seem to notice sometimes, he says, God is not, this is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10, 11, 12. God is not unjust so as to to overlook your work, there's that word again, and the love, there's that word again, that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have the full assurance, there's that same word again, have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience, there's hupamane, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. I told you, these are words that are going to show up all throughout the writings of the New Testament. And this is the theme we're picking up. Paul says, I thank the Lord because the gospel came to you. And when the gospel came to you in word and in power and in the Holy Spirit, which brought about full conviction or full assurance, then you became, there's that same word, I underlined it for you, then you became imitators of us and the Lord. You became followers. The gospel took root. You received the gospel. When it came in word and empowered the Holy Spirit and it brought full conviction, then you yielded to it. And I thank God for that. I thank God that when the gospel came, you became imitators. I tell you, brothers and sisters, this is, we may not think of things in these high and lofty terms like this, but this is the crux of what the Bible is teaching. Because when we in the beginning, and I say we, including myself and you all, in with Adam and Eve, when we in the beginning wanted to become like God, it was called sin. 
and we were cast out of the garden and separated from him and left without hope in this world until Jesus showed up. And when we receive the good news of Jesus Christ, look what can happen. We can receive the gospel and we can become imitators, followers, mimetes, to mimic. We can mimic Jesus. And if you mimic Jesus, you're mimicking God. For all the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus in bodily form. Did it not? You became imitators. But I want you to see that he took it a step further immediately. Immediately. You became, not only you became imitators, but what does he say you became? You became an example to all believers. Do you see, do you see already how Paul is setting up this model, right? He says, I came among you and I proclaimed the gospel in word, in power. The Holy Spirit was there working. You received it. You became imitators of me and of the Lord because that's really what I'm doing. And you also immediately then became an example for others to follow. He's immediately setting up how disciples of Jesus make more disciples of Jesus. How when the gospel takes root, we become imitators and we also become examples. Here's my question. Has the gospel so taken root in your life that you've become an imitator of Jesus and thereby becoming an example to all believers? There's a really strange phrase which we don't have time to dig in this morning. We'll have to trust that the Lord is gonna bring us back as we go through the book of Thessalonians, but sandwiched between the two things I just said about becoming an imitator and becoming an example to all believers is this really strange phrase which we can only find in the kingdom of God, I believe, is this mix and match, this pushing together of these two phrases. They receive the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, who in their right mind puts those two things together? And yet, it is the theme of Scripture, friends. The word came in much, they received it in much affliction, but with great joy in the Holy Spirit. You want to talk about not being conformed to the world, but being transformed. You want to talk about not operating according to the principles of the world, but according to the principles of Christ. Here is a nice summary of what we're talking about. For every one of us will do everything we can to run as fast away, run away as fast as we can from affliction, most likely, most typically. We don't like it. We heard a sister this morning with tears confess that we do not like affliction. We do not like to be afflicted. We don't like when things don't go the way we want them to go. We would rather run away from that. We'd rather not press into that. We'd rather have nothing to do with that. And somehow in God's inspired word, it comes out that somehow in the economy of God, in the, in the principles that, of Christ, in the way that God does things, that when that happens, somehow... There is this great reversal and joy comes out of that. You know this as well as I do, but I cannot explain how that works other than I can tell you it does. Paul wrote these words to the Corinthians, but no doubt he was thinking them already when he wrote this. You might have thought of this verse as we as I was just going through this last part, but this is when the gospel came to them. He says, you should be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We don't have time, but can I just remind you, 
that we went through an entire year, and we're still in the middle of this, by the way. We're not, we're not at the end yet. But we went through an entire year last year of talking about discipleship. Talking about how to be a disciple and make disciples and teach them to obey. This is a nutshell of this. This is what discipleship is. It's not me standing up here and telling you all the great things so you know what the Bible teaches. I mean, that may be part of it. I hope it's helping you in your journey. But it's us looking at each other and saying, we need to imitate Christ. And I want to imitate him so that you can follow me. I can be an example. And by the way, you're doing the same thing. Because I'm pretty sure there's some of you who are imitating Christ better than I am in some aspects. And by God's grace, I hope it's true that I'm imitating Christ better than you are in some other aspects. I believe that's the teacher, uh, the, the, teacher the, the picture of the body of Christ that's taught in Scripture. But let's move on because we must come to this last part because Paul is continuing through this. He says, I'm thanking God because I'm remembering that a work of faith is there, a labor of love, a steadfastness of hope because I know that when the gospel came, it came in word and power. It came in the Holy Spirit. It brought full conviction to you because when it did, it came and you became imitators and then you became examples. But I want to tell you one thing I'm still giving thanks for. I want to tell you how I see the result of the gospel. Now, this is going to be practical beyond all practicality. This is going to be something I think you can look at and say, Holy Spirit, help me see what this means in my life today, right now. Paul says, I thank God because you, when the gospel came, this was the result. And again, there's going to be three things they did. I put them, they, he puts them in past tense. I put them in present tense just for us this morning. This is what happens when the gospel takes root in us. He says, you turn to God from idols. You turn to God from idols. All kinds of ways we can emphasize that sentence, and it brings out other things, right? Turn is a key word. But the to and from are key words too. But of course, we have to know the subjects and indirect objects too, right? We turn to God from idols. We turn to God from idols. And he says then, what happened is you began to serve the living and true God. That, of course, is standing in opposition to the dead idols, the false idols. We serve the living and true God. This is what happens when the gospel takes root in our lives. If these things aren't true, then the gospel hasn't really taken root in our life. We turn to God from idols. We serve the living God, living and true God, and we wait. We wait for his son from heaven. You know, there's times when there's all kinds of convoluted things in Scripture. There's times when Paul engages in these long running sentences that he cut, adds in all kinds of things and takes all kinds of sidesteps and comes back and we have to sort of fight to work through all this stuff. Even Peter says, you know, Paul gets a little wordy in some of his stuff and it's hard to understand. There's times when scripture is difficult. There's times when we have to really work through things, right? And there's also times when scripture is so simple and so obvious and so just lays it out for us. And I believe this is one of those times. When the gospel comes and we become imitators of Christ and we become examples to others, what we're really talking about is these words right here. We turn. We turn to God away from idols. We serve. We expend ourselves for the living and true God. Whatever he wants, he gets to call the shots. Not my will, but yours. And we wait. We wait for his son to come. Jesus, our great blessed hope, Notice, by the way, he says in here, 
Jesus was raised from the dead and he delivers us from the wrath to come. I did not intend this. I didn't, I didn't mean to do this, but this is how God's word works, so it's always going to be true. But there are so many echoes of the letter we just studied just before this, the book of Zephaniah, some little minor prophet. There's so many echoes right in the verse we just, I just read to you. Right? What hope do we have? What hope do we have that will save us, will hide us from God's coming judgment? It's to seek God. It's to seek righteousness and seek humility. That is to say, it is to turn to God away from idols. It's to seek him, to serve him, and it's to wait for his son because he is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. Turn. Serve. And wait. I suppose every one of those words could hit us at a different spot, whether we were struggling with turning, serving, or waiting, or more than one of them. I hope you know it is my deepest desire every Sunday when I stand up here to preach that God has given me the opportunity to share from God's word with you. I hope you know it's my desire that when I read these kind of things that you are willing to ask the Holy Spirit what it has to say to you. What, it is one, what he's wanting to work in your own heart and mind and life this morning. Sometimes I give some suggestions. If you know me, maybe frustratingly so to you, I don't give suggestions all the time. Or very often sometimes even. I'm a firm believer in the power, the ability, and the correctness of the Holy Spirit. That's not to say he can't speak through me, but I have every confidence that if you are willing to, he will connect directly with you. And sometimes when I give a specific application, you might think, well, that's not for me, and so you forget that you have to apply it at all, and I don't want that to happen. So I'd rather do, have you leave you hang in there a bit and leave you do some work. It takes some work, doesn't it? This is... Borrowing a phrase from when we went through Ephesians, this is a high bar. I have every, every confidence that if we are willing to do so this morning, there can be at least one thing that we are giving our allegiance to that God would consider an idol in our life that we should turn away from. I have every, I'm convinced that for pretty much every one of us, there is at least one part of our life where we have not yet surrendered and we have not yet ex- been willing to expend ourselves to serve the living and true God. And I'm fairly certain it's pretty easy for many of us to get caught up in just living life and not consciously, directly waiting for the son to return with an eye for his return, an awareness of the imminence of that, a knuckled down not going to sort to the right or the left willingness to say or necessity to say, I need to be ready for that coming at every and every moment. For no one knows the day or the hour. If I can say one thing this morning, and I want to say it at the risk of everything I just said about making you feel like that's not for me, and so you dismiss it and not apply it at all. But I've had a couple of conversations with different ones of you, and there's something 
growing in me that I think would be a really good application for these verses for us. We're not, we don't typically, as uh, good Mennonite Anabaptist people, we don't typically celebrate things like Lent. I hope you know what Lent is. Well, actually, I think today is four weeks till Easter. One of the things that's been running through my mind is how easy it is for us to be to be influenced by all kinds of streams of, of information. It's so readily available in our world today. I know I'm going to sound like an old codger up here, which I'm getting to be that way. But there's a lot of streams of influence that come our way that I'm not sure is all good for us. If I could be bold this morning and encourage you, maybe you don't want to do it for four weeks. Maybe that seems too long. Maybe you don't want to do it at all. I would guess if you don't want to do it at all that you probably should. But if I could encourage you to consider for four, the next four weeks thinking of some kind of fast that you could do, and it could include fasting from food, which is a typical fast. But I'd like to encourage you to fast from media influences. If you need to put your phone away a lot more. There's all kinds of podcasts we listen to. There's all kinds of sermons we listen to. There's all kinds of news we listen to. There's all kinds of stuff there's all kinds of social media we check. There's all kinds of comparisons we fall trapped to. There's all kinds of debates we enter into that we ought not to. I wonder what would happen in our body of believers if we would take a month and just say, I'm gonna turn all that off. I'm gonna take the time I would have spent with that and I'm gonna either listen to the word or I'm gonna read the word or I'm gonna pray. If we're going to be serious that the gospel needs to be established in, in us and that it comes in word and in power and the Holy Spirit, and when that happens, we become imitators of Christ and examples to others, and we're serious about wanting to turn to God, this is a great way to turn to God, by the way, get to know him in his word, get to know him as we pray, turn to God from idols and looking for ways to serve him better and to wait for Jesus to come. What would happen if you'd stop checking Facebook for four weeks? Stop looking at Instagram for four weeks? Stop scrolling through TikTok videos for four weeks? Turn off your news source for four weeks? Stop listening to your political podcast for four weeks? If I could even tell you, and you might not like me for this, stop listening to your sermon podcast for four weeks. We have audio Bibles. If you are doing something with your hands, that's why you listen to Just listen to the scriptures for four weeks. One of the central tenets, I think that's how you say that word, of Anabaptist faith is we, call, we believe in something called the priesthood of all believers, which means we believe that God, Holy Spirit, can lead every one of us. We don't need priests in between us and the Lord.
So I'm telling you that it might be time for us to display that in a way that says, if I am reading and listening to the word of God and praying to him, that he can lead me in how to faithfully live this word out. Now, hopefully, you understand that I'm not against preaching. I'm not against that at all. You obviously know that because I stand up here every week and preach to you. But I will stand by the fact that I don't want you to be a congregation that only hears me preach. Even if you don't listen to anything else, you only hear me preach, and that's what you take and live your life by. Because you need to live your life by this, according to how the Holy Spirit tells you. Now, we have conversation with each other, and I'm expecting that if we're listening to the Holy Spirit and we're reading the Bible and spending time in prayer, we're going to have a lot of conversations with each other. We ought to. Maybe you say I'm being crazy. Maybe you say it's too hard to do. Maybe you say I don't need that. Maybe you say that's what keeps me grounded. That's between you and the Lord. But I might suggest it to you. Let me close this morning with the verse that I want to bring back to us. It is time to wrap this up. These words, they're not going to be easy for us. Turning away from our idols, they're idols for a reason. Turning to God and serving him at the expense of doing what I want to do, spending my time and my money and my energy and my things the way I want to spend them, that's not easy to do. Waiting, 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 and waiting. It's a lot easier to just forget and just pretend like I can just live life like that's all that matters. I want to remind you that when we do these kind of things, it will not be because of us. It'll be because of how Paul ends this letter. Right? Read these words with me. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God, I pray that those words would be true words that we've uttered today, that our hearts desire to be kept blameless, soul, body, mind, all of us to be kept blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. God, we confess being distracted. We confess being comforted by some things that we hear because they align with what we think and so we love to be there. And it, but we confess that that leads us or makes us imbalanced or just makes us, makes us self-focused. Or perhaps it makes us afraid. We confess that we have all kinds of plans and things we'd like to see in our personal world and our families in our communities and in our country. We confess that sometimes the plans we have are a little selfish, are mostly our plans. And we forgot that our plans are submitted to your plans. We forgot that we turned away from idols to serve you, the living and true God. We forgot that the gospel changes us. We forgot that we live by different principles.
I pray, Father, for your continued leading of this body, of me. Pray, God, that I and we would come to truly know you and worship you, love you, and serve you. Thank you that you are the God who sanctifies us completely. It is you who works in us to prepare us for your son's return, and we look for that day. We long for that day. We want to have a steadfastness of hope that says no matter what you what comes in our path, no matter what you ask us to walk through, no matter what difficulty, what affliction, that we have a steadfastness, a hope that says we are looking for a city whose builder is you, God. We want to be counted among those of whom it is said, blessed are those who die in Christ. Thank you. I'm so grateful, God, that you are so capable and so loving and so compassionate towards us and continue pointing us to your righteousness. And you've said this is the way. It is to put first your kingdom, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And all these other things will be added to us. Help us by simple, humble faith to walk in those words. And you are able. Thank you, God. You're faithful. You will surely do it. In Jesus' name, amen.